Do you believe that there's work to be done? There's work to be done. You know, as we were worshiping this morning and people were responding, uh, did you sense the hunger in the room? Did you sense that there's a desire for people to uh, connect with a, a living God, a living Savior? And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is not uh, a great prophet. Jesus is not a great teacher. Jesus is not a miracle worker. Jesus is God. And God is, was, is, and will always be. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it is important for us to get to know Jesus. I was thinking about joy when we walked in this morning as we were praying over the sanctuary before you get here. At 7 o'clock in the morning, the staff comes and we pray and we worship. And the first thing that we played over the loudspeakers and, and raised it at volume 10 was, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And we declared it over us being with you and us as a people, there is joy in the house of the Lord. This Friday, we celebrated uh, Shabbat with some Jewish-believing friends of ours, and we celebrated entering into Sabbath with joy, and we drank of, of the fruit of the vine, we drank wine in, in, in honor and celebration of God's joy and His goodness, but in light of the goodness and life that we find in Jesus. And I thought to myself then, and I thought to myself now, the world knows how to get happy for a moment. We know what joy is in the world. We could probably describe it, and the whole world could describe what that joy looks like. But the joy that bubbles up from deep within that is sustaining and everlasting comes from Jesus. He's the true vine. He is the, he is the wine. He is the wine that we can experience for a moment, but when we experience it for a moment too much, what do we get on the other side of things? A hangover. We, we, we lose it. We can't contain it, this earthly joy. But in Jesus, it is an ever, never-ending well of hope in life that we find in Jesus. We've been inviting the church, inviting you who are visitors, inviting those of us who are part of this church. We've been, invite, been invited by Jesus over the last few weeks to be welcomed home. Come home, and we talked about Jesus opening the door and say, come on in. And what's the requirement of walking into a relationship with Jesus? Letting Jesus love you. Letting him forgive you. We talked about the simple gospel. What is the simple gospel? The simple gospel is, is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and my sins. He died so that we might be forgiven and be born again. A new life to find joy, to find life. Welcome home to Jesus Welcome home to heaven, we talked about, heaven, heavenly community, every tribe, every tongue, every nation dwelling together at the foot of Jesus, celebrating the goodness of the Lord and being refreshed in community as we live life together. Uh, unique, as the video talked about, unique in who we are, accepted for who we are, reborn again into a new life to be created, uh, to, to live, live for Jesus in the way that he created us to live, uh, fully alive. Fully unique, each one of us living together in perfect harmony because Christ Jesus is in our midst. Do you believe that? Golly, I don't know if you believe it. Come on. 
I don't have to work. I'm never going to try to work you up this morning and let the Holy Spirit do that. So just let him in. He'll do the work. And so we've been living in 1 Peter uh, as, as our text of Scripture. We've been looking at 1 Peter 2, and we've been starting at verse 4, but this week as we look at this last aspect of welcoming home to the, the family on mission, as, as this video talked about, being a, being a people on mission, um, getting the work done that God has called us to do to see people set free, to see people liberated, to see people helped and encouraged, to see people come to know the Jesus that you and I know. Uh, I want to start back at verse 1 of chapter 2 and read the first part. I'll skip the center part that we spent some time on in the last couple of weeks. If you want to go back and read it later, you can, or while I'm talking, you can. And then we'll wrap it up with the, the last part of that passage of Scripture. But verse 1, So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. And like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living, not dead, but the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but was chosen by God for great honor. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second because I just want to highlight something that is actually happening in our church right now. We're having babies. You guys know about this? Have you heard the stories of babies being born in this church? We're having babies, and we're not just having babies, but we're having babies dramatically. You want to know a dramatic story, just ask the cooks. I mean, they know how to create a dramatic birth story. I mean, you know, just hanging out at home, calling sis and saying, come over, I think I'm about to go in labor. And by the time she knocks on the door, she hears yelling and laughter and all kinds of stuff because the baby had been born. Aaron opens the door and says, baby born, call the emergency unit, you know. He, she's here. She's with us. But I can tell you, babies being born bring all kinds of things to our life. I'm looking at the snakes. I can imagine that over the course of the last year, you know what life is like with a baby, right? But I, don't, I do not have to describe it to you. But for all of us that don't know or don't remember, let me remind you of what it's like to have a baby in your home. Just wonderful cooing and all that stuff, just soft baby skin, and just cuddly, ugly, mmm, goodness. All of that stuff. And then, oh yeah, just a couple more things. Poop and <laughs> crying. You know, God gave us all the cooing and the, just the cuddly stuff because there's a lot of that other stuff that goes into raising babies. They keep us awake and they demand our attention. And most of the time they're demanding our attention for food. Feed me! They can't say it, so they just cry. Give me food. Give me food. And they know that food's coming because we've trained them to let them know food's coming. You cry long enough, you get food. It's simple. You cry, food. Cry, food. God's designed this for babies physically, and He's designed it for babies spiritually. You cry... You, yeah, right on cue. 
All illustrations welcome this morning. Just keep on crying. Babies, stay in this morning. We're going to learn it. You cry, you get attention. You crave what you long for and you get fed. What are you craving? What are you crying for? What are we crying for? God, uh, Peter, in this passage of Scripture, he, he says, he says, you understand this because it's in our lives. There's babies around us. Like babies who cry for milk, you cry for the spiritual food that is going to nourish your soul and bring you from a place of infancy and salvation to a place, I believe, of maturity which comes with friendship with Jesus. He's called us to eat and to grow an understanding of who He is so that we can grow up and become friends with Him. I've I've had a few babies in our house. I mean, I haven't had them. <laughs> My wife has birthed the babies. But we have had babies in our house. We've had five babies. And because we know how hard it is to have five babies in our house, we stretched it over 15 years <laughs> to give ourselves some time and encouragement to do it well. But we have a 21-year-old to a 6-year-old, but all of them started as babies. All of them started with a lot of need and a lot of demand and a lot of crying and a lot of craving. And you know what? We didn't go, what are you doing? What are you doing, babies? We want adult humans. Grow up now. Sometimes what we feel, felt, you know, wouldn't it be great to wave a wand over this baby and just, you know, I don't know what, we'll take 10. Just give us, fast forward to age 10. But God doesn't do that. We feed, we fed, and we nurtured, and we cared for, but our goal was not to have babies. Amen? Can I just hear an amen? All of you moms who love babies, that's okay, you can have, but we don't want them just to stay babies as cute as they are. We have a belief or a faith that those babies are actually going to grow up into Mollies and Annies and Jonathans and Samuels and Isaacs that are growing and increasing in their understanding of life and God and who are becoming our friends. Becoming co-laborers in Christ. Becoming world changers. Becoming people who don't cry and complain about us not feeding them. Although sometimes our teenage son still does the same thing. <laughs> Mom, where's me meat? You look at our milk budget. Where's the milk, Mom? But we're not, we're not looking towards that. We're looking for mature sons and daughters living for Jesus. And that's what God's looking for us looking for in us. He wants us to cry and crave for milk. If we need milk, call out for it. He wants to feed you. He wants to let you know of your identity in Him. We've been talking about that you are chosen, that you're royal, that you are loved by Him. That's the milk of God. And sometimes we forget that that's what we need, and so we call out for some more milk. Are you still getting milk, John, from God? He's like, I don't know the answer to this question. <laughs> You're supposed to tell me that in staff, Pastor. Give me the right response. The right response, John, is yes, I still want milk. <laughs> Sorry, I'm calling somebody else next time. Lord, 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 I can get fired for the wrong answer. What's going on here? <laughs> okay. We still cry out for milk. I still cry out for milk. I was on the carpet this morning crying out for milk. 
I need milk today, Jesus. I need to be reminded. I was stuck. I was stirred by what a beautiful name and reminded how good Jesus is to me. I was reminded of the first day of my salvation where He plucked me out of a dysfunctional family and out of a coarse direction that was bent on hell and destruction and said, I don't want you to go that way. I love you, Sean. And I want a new life. I want to give you a new life. I was struck by how beautiful the name of Jesus is. And I said, I want your milk this morning. I crave you, God. But I don't live in that place of longing just for milk. I live for the, for the opportunity to be a friend with Jesus and to go out into the world and co-labor with Him and bring milk to other people, to bring life to other people. That's what we're called to live in. And that's what Peter is talking about. Feed me, but feed me so that I grow up and can walk with you, Jesus, as a friend. For I'm a chosen person, for we are chosen people. We're royal priests, verse 9, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result of that, that feeding and that maturing in Jesus, we can show others the goodness of God. We can show goodness of God. Our first day as a believer, as a baby, we can say, I've been saved. It's been good for a day. And we can tell of the goodness of Jesus. But there's a lot more of the goodness of Jesus that God wants to form and create in us so that we have a story, a testimony, a life of faithfulness and goodness of God that we can share with others. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you have no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you have God's mercy. And our focus for today, dear children, dear friends, I warn you, and so again, before we get to the warning, how do we get to the warning? We get to the warning by knowing our identity. But we are not called to be Christians just so that we can continually talk about how He forgives us of our sin. So that we can go on sinning, so He can go on forgiving. He will continue to forgive. He will continue to love. He will continue to show mercy. He will continue to restore. He will continue to give you the bottle and put it in your mouth. But He wants you to grow off the bottle and start eating food and start walking with Him and thanking Him for the bottle and thanking Him for the nurture and saying, God, but we got more to do than that. To move away, as Paul talks about, the elementary things of the Gospel and move on to the things that speak of maturity. And God is calling for a mature bride, a mature church, to walk in confidence, walk in holiness, walk in compassion with the Lord. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary and residents, res, temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. What does a home or a family on mission look like? Well, we show others the goodness of God. We show others the goodness of God. And what is the goodness of God that we show primarily to others? That we are friends of God. That we're friends with Jesus. If, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if people can see no other thing in your life, at the end of your life, the end of my life, let me say it personally, I pray that people who know me will say, you know what, whatever else they want to say about me, how unique, odd, weird, 
wonderful, whatever, whatever, they, whatever adjectives they use. Sean was a adjective, 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 friend of Jesus. He talked about Jesus. He lived for Jesus. I heard about Jesus and saw Jesus in his life. That's my goal. Is it yours? We're friends of Jesus. And that starts by our testimony of being brought out of darkness to light, being brought out of bondage to freedom, being brought out of aloneness to community, receiving mercy when we had none. Do you have a testimony in Jesus? If you do, you can out loud or internally say, Amen, I got a testimony, brother. There you go. And if you have a testimony in Jesus with the person next to you, know that you don't, you've not just been saved. Thank you, Tim. You know, the scripture says that if you bring a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, thank you, Tim, you have done your good deed for the day. You can go home and go to bed. Yeah. That's not the, that's not the gospel, by the way. One deed. Okay. I'm out of here. Okay. Um, where was I? Do you have a testimony? Would people near you know that you're a friend of Jesus. Is your friendship dear enough to you, real enough to you, authentic enough to you that you'd be willing to tell somebody with your words about Jesus? These are, these are barometers that we should ask ourselves often. When I talk to people and they say, yeah, I've been born again. Yeah, I've loved Jesus. Do you talk about Jesus? Well, you know, it's private. I don't... What's so private about a Savior that if somebody heard about them, their whole life could be transformed and set free? What's so private and personal about a relationship with Jesus that if He's the Savior of all mankind, wouldn't you want all mankind around you to know? And listen, I am a fearful, awkward evangelist. You could say, Amen, Pastor. But I... I I, this, this week, I was telling some friends of mine, I was praying and walking down the Charles River, and God started to speak to me, and I said, God, I love you. And I, he said, I know you do. Will you tell somebody about me today? I said, of course I will. He says, well, walk with me. And I'm walking with him. He says, now tell her. Yeah, yeah amen. It's, let me tell you the rest of the story, then you can give me an amen after it. And so I look at this lady, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to look like a stalker on the Charles River. You've got to have a better plan than this. And, and don't, don't, this is not prescriptive, by the way. I'm, not, I'm still not sure I obeyed him the right way. But I'm sitting there praying. I said, Lord, I don't, no, this doesn't feel right. Have her move on. Go, it's got to be somebody else. And she stops. She starts doing calisthenics beside me. She does not leave. I said, Lord, make her go away. This is awkward. The Lord would not make her go away. And so, literally, I'm, I, I look at her, and I'm like, uh, and, and I feel like that awkward person. I, 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 uh, yeah, I, hi, I'm not weird, and I'm not a stalker. No, I didn't say that, but I'm feeling it. Do you know Jesus? Can I pray? For, I don't even know what came out of my mouth. Something with Jesus attached to it came out. She looked at me like I was the weirdest person in the world and said, all set, thanks. Thank, thank you. And uh, I prayed, and I walked off. That was it. That's the story. You're like, wow, that's really powerful. That's great. It, it was not powerful. It, I, it was awkward, weird. But why did I do it? Why did I do it? Because five minutes earlier, I was aware of the goodness of my friend Jesus. 
And in me was this desire that somebody else would know, or more than that, that I'd just be a friend of Jesus. I'd do whatever He wanted me to do. I remember being in my shower as a 22-year-old and worshiping God and getting so excited by Jesus, I hopped out, put my clothes on, and ran to the door and opened the door, and there was a person walking down the sidewalk, and I said, do you know Jesus? Why did I do that? I don't do that all the time, but sometimes I'm so overwhelmed with the goodness of the Lord that I want to tell somebody about it. Those are the exception stories right there. You don't have to go around and be weird like me. But you might be called to. Don't put it all on me. That's your job, Pastor. That's why we pay you. Now, you don't pay me to do that. Nobody pays me to do that. Jesus invites us into a relationship. Sometimes it's normal. Sometimes it's not normal. But it's born out of a love that's overwhelmingly transformed my life. Has he transformed yours? What does home and revival family on mission look like? It means that we reveal to the world that this is not our home. Heaven is. We are temporary, I can't even temple, why are we temporary <laughs> residents and foreigners. We are just passing through this world. Can we just stop and think about that for a second? This, this house or apartment that you live in is a temporary residency. The car you're driving around in is a temporary car. The job that you work at is a temporary job. We live as temporary residents because all of those things are a means to an end, but they are not the end. But we live as if they are the end, don't we? I mean, just honestly, don't we live as if those, we get so trapped, we get so entrapped by rent and food and, and work and relationships. We get so trapped and yet Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said, don't worry about these things. I got your back. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these other things will be added. I'll give you a home. Is He going to give you a mansion on a hill? Probably not. Maybe. But who cares one way or another, really? If I have shelter, I'm good, right? If I have food... It doesn't have to be opulent. I don't have to have the best food in the world. If I have food that sustains my body, that's good, isn't it? If I have a job that allows me to take care of my family and do what's... What, what's if God gives me that opportunity, that's good. I'm not saying not to pray about these things and be diligent about these things. It's not that they're not to be a focus. It's just not to be the primary focus. That on top of all of that, it's God, you're good. What are you doing in my housing, relational, food, work, life that gives you the opportunity to be glorified? It gives you the opportunity to be known, gives you the, me the opportunity to know you. We're temporary resident foreigners just passing through. And yet, as, as he talked about in the parable of the sower, when we, when we uh, experience the kingdom of God sometimes like the seeds that fall among the thorns, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the Word and make it unfruitful. How many of us are on mission, but we are unfruitful because the cares of this life have sidetracked us from the pursuit of God and His kingdom purposes? I know that I am constantly battling that in my own life. I'm often 
awaken to how distracted I have been by these pursuits. What does home and family on mission look like? It looks like living holy lives. We cannot proclaim that Jesus is the one that sets us free if we're not walking in freedom. We can proclaim it, but how much more powerful is it when we say Jesus has set me free and I'm walking in freedom because the power of God's in my life to set me free? Wow! People want to know that that is possible and true. And can I just give a little disclaimer? It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Some of the most powerful uh, testimony of your life of freedom is not only that He set you free, but you know what? When I have fallen at times and God has lifted me back up and, and placed me back on the track again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be evident in your life. And it has to be evident that you are different. That you're different. That once we were in the world and now we are not in the world because Christ has set us free. We were marked by the world, now we're marked by Jesus. And there's a difference, right? Of who He is. So much so that that's why we came to Jesus, I would imagine, in the first place. Because we were looking for breakthrough in our life. We were looking for hope. Peter throughout this whole book, talks about this in different ways. Um, from verse 15 in chapter 1, he, he takes a look at this holy life, both the, the abstinence of evil and the, the pressing into what it's positive in being holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, So prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the Scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. He doesn't ask us to be something that He doesn't give us the power to do. Say it to yourself. You have not asked me to be holy without having the power to be holy. He is not hard on us. He is laying out the red carpet with all of the grace that we need to walk in freedom. The, the, real, reason, the real choice is, do we desire to be holy? Do we desire to experience that newness of life that He's offering us? So worldly desires war against our souls. They pull us away. Holiness matters. On chapter 4, he, 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 towards the end of this letter, he says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. And we go back to this verse in chapter 2, and it talks about, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will glorify God in the end. Let's, let's allow just for a second for the reality of our lives to settle in, which is when we have been called to Christ, we've received freedom. We've re received relationship with God. We've also been changed 
And if we are living in the world which God has called us to live among the world, He's not called us out of the world or He would have called us to heaven when we got saved. Amen? But He left us here to live among people who don't know Him so that they would know Him. And until they know Him, until your friends who you have been rescued out of that lifestyle from and are not living any longer the way that they live until they experience the grace of Jesus, guess what they're going to do? They're going to reject you. They're going to possibly slander you. They're going to they're live like you have lived. Have lived. It's just normal. We like people to be in our misery. If we're not experiencing something over here and we don't get it, we don't understand it, or we don't want to believe it, then we're, we're going to try to get that person back over here. And we'll do whatever it takes. Manipulation, rejection, slander. It's just part of it. But we get to love in return. We get to forgive. We get to turn the other cheek. We get to respond in kindness. We get to press in, and it totally blows them away. It's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm being mean to you. I know it, but I, I have something different in me. I understand what you're doing because I, I, I was like that. I have the same nature. I get it. But I'm different now. Wow, what a transformation. What a revolution. When God changes our life in such a way that we truly don't care about that anymore because we care about something more important, which is the salvation of souls and the friendship with God. Live holy. Live simply so others can simply live. Live it out loud. Live in love with Jesus and His purposes. What stirs your heart? Are you stirred to live holy? To abstain from that which is sinful, but also to live holy, to live proactive loving lives. That's the other side of holy. We often think of holy and we think, don't do bad things. But holy living is also positive. We live love, compassion, all of the good things of God is holy living as well. That, forget about those bad things and let's live holy. The good stuff going forward. Religion that God and our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When we, when we start to become friends with Jesus and we, we put aside the elementary things of our identity, meaning that we get our identity and we are not giving ourselves to the sins of this world but we're pursuing holiness, then we start looking at the holy living of compassion, love, and care that God has for us. Before. And this is expansive, isn't it? I'm looking at Keith. I mean, Keith and Tanya uh, have opened their lives of holy living by holy loving foster kids. And there's not an end to the love that God has for kids, is there? There's not an end to the love of compassion that God has. You don't have a, you, you, you physically are limited, your life is limited, but there is a whole world of love out there that God is calling us to. Two or three weeks ago now? When did Harvey happen? Is that, how long has that been? It just, when, when these kind of things happen, it seems like forever, and it's, you know, it's like time. Is it three weeks ago? Has it only been three weeks? It seems like forever because of, of the destruction. But the first of, of and I'm not going to just talk about Harvey this morning, but the first major catastrophic hurricane hit Houston. And we were 
a part of aware of that as a church because we have a church within our movement that was on, at ground zero with the flood. They were right in the middle of the worst part of the flood. Most of the pastors on staff, their houses were flooded. 85% of the residents of that area that got flooded did not have flood insurance, which means that they didn't have any resources from insurance companies to help remediate the flood damage of their home. Some of them a foot uh, throughout their whole house, some of them eight feet, ten feet of flood waters in their house. Um, and so they woke up you know, two, a day, two, three days later and realized we don't have flood insurance and we have no idea how we're going to pay for this. And, 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 and by the way, this area, many of the areas that were hit were not wealthy areas, but poor areas. So it just catastrophe upon catastrophe of trying to figure out how to do life. What, what, what do we do? Well, we respond to what the need is. So the church in the middle, taking care of their own church, but then saying we've got a whole neighborhood, a whole community around us that needs help as well. So I want to show you a video some of you have given to this campaign. And I want to, hold on, don't play it yet, but I, w- I want to show you a, a video here in a second. But I want to let you know that our pastor from uh, that community just sent out an email and he said, we are still accepting, I mean, he says, as of today, this was, by the way, they categorized this flood as a 500-year flood. It's never, it, it, every 500 years there might be a flood like this in Houston. As of today, we have hosted over 1,500 relief workers. This is within three-week period of time and cleaned out, cleaned out close to 230 houses. Teams of 8 to 10 people would go in for a day to a day and a half, that's how long it would take, and they would begin to cut the drywall at uh, 4 to 8 feet high, depending on the flood problem, of the whole house, and remove all of the debris, both all of the articles of clothing, all, everything that was already in the house, plus the, the drywall and everything that was behind the walls. They would... They would go in, clear everything out, get it to a place of drying out so that it can then be, be restored again. Uh, we had 1,500 people from our movement that cleaned out 230 houses in the Houston area in the last three weeks. Our, my, our daughter alone, uh, uh, went down two different weekends from college, three hours away, drove down to, to clean out houses. Because why? Because we're friends of Jesus. And because in pain in suffering and in trial where people are fleeing and running away from the pain and preserving their own lives, Christians are called to run into the pain, to run in with the hope of Jesus and let let people know, you know what, we're not living for ourselves, but we're living for Jesus and for you. How can we help you? So watch this video that was put together not by Antioch, but by a Houston news agency. Thousands of Houstonians owe their lives to complete strangers, people who charged into Hurricane Harvey to pluck them from floodwaters and help with the recovery. Brendan Keefe looks at why some communities get help before others and how the heroes find them. Water fills entire neighborhoods and floods all roads leading to them. Ordinary people do extraordinary things to help those in need. They just showed up and and they're just wonderful. Jody Duell moved from Atlanta to Liverpool, a tiny Texas town most people couldn't find on a map. When they were saying that the floodwaters were coming through Houston and Cinco Ranch, Liverpool and Alvin and Manville, they were never mentioned. And there is a community out here, my whole community out here, looks like a bomb went off down here. 
This will give you a good idea just how high the water's got here in Liverpool. That is a baby gate and a stroller on top of this tree. Some items even higher than that. But there's something now higher than the water's ever got here. Spirits have been uplifted by the generosity of complete strangers. Somehow these volunteers from Antioch Church in California and all over Texas found her flooded home and cleaned it out. This isn't FEMA or the government out here. No, this it's is... not. This is not FEMA. It is not the government. These are hardworking people that have jobs that they do and they volunteer to help people. You are one who restores lives. These are the helping hands of complete strangers brought together by fate and humanity. And they just show up and say, what can we do? Driving through driving rains, but what guided an army of strangers to find the people needing rescue? They simply followed the storm clouds as Harvey moved in and the rising water as the hurricane moved out. But it was social media that organized the citizen response. Now it's devastatingly easy to spot a home in crisis even after the water recedes. It was not as if someone called and said, we need help here. We were really grateful to see them. He said, we're from Sacramento, California. Stay to the left to State Highway 82 South Cameron. Beaumont Port Arthur was a virtual island last week. This is a sight you just don't see. I'm standing in the middle of the westbound lanes of I-10, completely closed outside of Beaumont. That means help coming from the east is having difficulty getting into Houston. Even before I-10 reopened, private boats from Oklahoma were in Beaumont and Port Arthur making rescues. Many volunteers simply drove through high water to get there, risking their own lives to save people they'd never met. The community and the church and, and the, the uh, volunteer groups have just been overwhelming. Standing for Houston, Brendan Keefe with KHOU. Uh, you know, and before, the, the, the boats that came in, the boats that came in from Oklahoma and Texas, uh, many of them, are, Antioch had like 20 or 30 people with their private boats that went down the first day to start taking people out of their homes. That's the kind of people we are. And it's not just there, but it's here. It's uh, wherever there is a need. I want to present to you another need this morning, and I'm, I, I'm aware of the time, so I'm going to go quickly here, but... Uh, uh, Hurricanes keep on coming. Now the islands have been just d devastated, and obviously their connects with, with islands and people that are in need are usually with people that we know that were in the middle of these situations. Houston had a church that we could partner with. Uh, Puerto Rico got slammed. It is still recovering from this recent er er um, hurricane. And I remember my buddy Mike Basile, who used to be at our church in Brighton, who went to Boston University and uh, ended up serving with Young Life in the Connecticut area, and he and his wife and their six-month-old twins there, um, he, moved, he and his wife moved three years ago to Puerto Rico. And so um, three and a half million people in Puerto Rico, no power right now, barely any communications. Um, he is working, he and some friends of his in their little area are working with FEMA to find people who nobody knows where they are through Facebook to just try to connect people to families and or to find people, whether or not they're alive or dead right now. Um, they, uh, uh, they have a, if you've been following, they have a dam that might 
be about to bust and some close to 70,000 people are in harm's way or possibly in harm's way at the, at the moment. Um, they're shut off. You know, resources are just starting to come into that country. And so, okay, here we have again. I mean, we got multiple eyes. We could go any direction. There's so much stuff going on. Lord, how do we run to the need? We just we, we connect with relationships where God's calling, and we say, God, what do we do? So I wanted to put up Mike because I contacted Mike. I said, Mike, what are you doing? He says, I've got a GoFund account. He says, I'm just going neighbor to neighbor, and we're, we're doing it grassroots, me and my wife and the people that are the church here that I'm working with. He's got a GoFund account for $25,000 he's raising just to meet basic needs. I said, can we send a small team? He says, well, they're not even letting people in for the next 10 to 14 days. So just send money, and then I'll let you know what we can do from there. There's uh, a way to, to find him. If you're interested in giving to Puerto Rico, he'll let you know what they're doing with the money, how much integrity he has. I totally trust him. Hurricane Maria rebuild effort. That's what you search for at GoFundMe, Mike Basil. Um, in B-A-S-I-L-L-E, Mike Basil. Okay. The result of our, our living for God is that we pray, that we give, and we go. We pray, we give our lives, our resources, and we respond as God calls us to. So can we end the service this morning, and I want you to do this. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to ask God to live, as, live through us as people who know our identity, that desire not to just live in the world, but to abstain from the sins of this world and live holy lives that are filled with love and compassion. And we're going to intercede. And we're going to intercede, and we're going to ask God as we're interceding to answer our prayers. And we're going to say, God, if I am the answer to the prayer I'm praying, then, Lord, that would be awesome. Okay? So I'm going to ask you, and if you are a visitor, if you're not a prayer, you don't have to pray. You can just listen. But I'm going to ask us so that we have more prayers going on to turn to twos and threes around us and to call out. And this is what I want you to call out for. I want you to call out for where there is need in this world. I've just highlighted two places, but I did not highlight all the ones that are on God's heart or that are on your heart. So in your groups of two or three, it might be Houston or Puerto Rico, but it might be Africa. It might be the middle. It might be what's connected to what's going on in your life. Pray. I also want you to be specific in your, in your prayer, hopefully, for prayers in your own sphere of life. It's oftentimes very easy to pray for Puerto Rico and be responsive to that need, but not responsive to the need that's right around you. So God, give me ears and heart for what's going on right around me. We're going to move into a series next week on Ruth, where we look at the story of Ruth and contextualize it with what's going on in our community and how God wants to call us to a church to be active in the needs, um, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the things that are going on in Waltham and surrounding us. And Lord, would you, con- would you begin to open up our ears to what you are doing and saying? So could you turn in twos and threes and intercede and pray? And as you pray, listen, God, what would you have me do? Is there anything that you would have me do? And we'll, we will uh, conclude with that. If I can have the band to just come up and have some music behind, that would be awesome. Feel free to turn now and pray. So turn, turn to somebody and pray. God is listening to your prayers. If you feel like you need to turn to somebody you know, that's fine, but God's okay if you turn to somebody you don't know. Get to ask them their name.
you need to get out of your row to be able to pray, then you can stand up and move to the, the aisles. I see some of you moving. God delights in answering our prayers. that you'd stir our intercession. Lord, would you speak to us what's on your heart? Would you move us with the things that move you, God? Lord, would you help us to take our eyes off of our own life and place them on you? Lord, may we see that you have gifted us, you've empowered us, not just with prayers, but a life that can be sent to the person next door, to the person across the cubicle, to the person in the next state or the next nation. Lord, we believe that you, your promises are true, that if we would seek you and pray, we'd humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, you would heal us, that you would forgive us, and that you would restore our land, that you would answer our prayers, you'd bring restoration, you'd bring healing, you'd redeem what is broken. Move spiritual mountains this morning, Lord. Make ways where there seems to be no other way. Bring peace where there is no peace right now. In Jesus' name. We long for you, Lord. We long to know you, Jesus. We long to be a friend with you today, God. What does it look like to be your friend as we pray? What does it look like to extend the love of God you said in your word Lord Jesus that our prayers are like incense to you they're a fragrant aroma that you delight in receiving and you delight in answering you said ask of me and I will give to you knock and the door will be open so we're knocking this morning Lord we're asking this morning God Lord, would you purify the desires of our hearts so that what we ask for um, is with a right motive, Lord. It's not so that we could spend it on our own selfish desires, but Lord, that we would pray uh, with the prayers that you pray, the desires that you desire, Lord Jesus. We love you, God. we believe that what our enemy, Satan, desires for evil, that you can take those plans of his and turn them around and turn them into glorious good. 
We believe that you defeat the works of the enemy by your grace, your forgiveness, your hope. We believe that you win, that you are victorious, God, that we are praying to a victorious God. So we trust you. We put our hope in you, God. have our attention, our ears, and our heart are open to you. God, would you also speak as we pray? Would you give direction? Would you inspire creativity? Would you inspire good works in our hearts and lives? Would you give us confidence and zeal for the works of God? Lord, our ears are open. We're listening. We're not just talking, but we're listening to you, Lord. Would you lead us? church, we have limited resources. We are a finite people with finite resources, but you have unlimited resources. Your resources are unlimited, God. So we ask and believe for unlimited resources to be produced. God, that we, we, we're asking for above and beyond whatever we could imagine or hope for. Lord, we're asking, God, that you would do above and beyond. Lord, we're asking for miracles, God. Things that we can't do ourselves, but you can do. Lord, would you do them, Lord? In Jesus' name. I believe that as we've been praying and we're going we're gonna to continue to allow you to intercede for those who have the ability to pray a little bit longer. But as you're praying, as you've been praying, God's been speaking. If God's spoken to you, write it down. If he's spoken to something, something to you very clear to do, do it. Do it. Don't question. Just do it. And let God do what he wants to do. If you're a parent of a child, I would encourage one of you, if there's two of you, one of you go get your children. If it's just you, go get your child. Relieve, relieve our workers. If you want to continue to pray, continue to pray. If you want to fellowship, uh, let's leave this space for intercession and prayer just for the next few minutes so you can exit one of the doors and talk outside in the lobby. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning.